Welcome to the first edition of the 2013 End to End podcast. I'm Ryan Laramore. Sitting across from me is Mark Paul. Uh, Doug Todd will still be a part of this, but he's he's out for the day. He's day to day with a uh, with kids and having to work. Yes. So you, you get Mark and I. And- I mean, I have to say that's. <laughs> It's honestly an upgrade. We kind of lost one, but you know, I'm just kidding, Doug. We love you, but you're you're not the that show concerned. must go on. Well, and you're not that concerned when you lose your fourth line center. Wow. I, <laughs> I I'm just I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, so we were gonna start the show this week. There's been huge debate on fighting early on here in the season, especially after, you know, it's been beaten to death, George Peros and the Colt Noor fight. And basically the Watch the, the phrase tussle. beaten to death around here. Yes. Well, the tussle <laughs> and uh, just yanking him down to the ice. Peros smashes his face unconscious. And uh, after that, it was just like, it was almost like we've never seen anything like this happen before in a fight. Like, oh my gosh, somebody got knocked unconscious. Somebody was bleeding. That was the be- the funniest uh, uh, clip of the play by play. The radio guy is you hear, oh my gosh, there's blood. <laughs> right. Just, well, they fought. It, of course, there's going to be blood. You know, and early in the Sega days, there was a NHL video game that included blood. It's just it's part of hockey. Blood, sweat, and tears this isn't a joke. Uh, but I I, I thought. It was funny how much people made a big deal about Peros hitting his face on the ice. Um, obviously, you don't like to see that, but that could happen a million different ways in the NHL. You could be out in front of the net, and someone could, you know, fall and haul you down with them. the 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 hitting of the face on the ice is what is what prompted this whole debate. But it's also kind of a a non-issue in the fighting debate like it, it could happen anywhere right yeah any i mean anytime a player could fall over and i get the idea that well it it wouldn't gen genuinely that wouldn't have happened if they weren't fighting but to me and it, you know you'll get people oh that that was a pointless fight well if you actually went back and you watched the play before that george peros is protecting his own player i can't remember who it was that got hit but it was uh, a questionable hit not not an illegal hit but just one of those like dude if you're gonna touch our player like that we're coming after you which by the way is what george peros is being paid to do and i'm sure i i i would love to hear what he has to say now that he's kind of unintentionally you know blown this thing up and it's his job that would be on the line if they did go ahead and say Let's ban fighting because other than what he did that night against Toronto, what's what's his purpose in the league? Right. Yeah. I mean, George Peros has won a Stanley Cup. He didn't win as the second or first line winger. That's for sure. The guy played the fourth line. Now, when he won the cup, I know it was six years ago. He had he had some more talent, a little bit more speed than he did now. But a guy like George Peros, and and similar to we go to the the whole Kessel John Scott. And, and that whole deal in the preseason with David Clarkson jumping off the bench. And uh, that's been also beaten to death. But when you, you look at these things and you're like, dude, this if you took away fighting, there goes uh, 50, 60 guys' jobs, potentially. Which you got to imagine, the, the NHL polls pretty strongly, the NHLPA, I should say, polls pretty strongly in favor of fighting. And I wonder how much of that is... Guys looking out for other guys' jobs, like you don't want to be 
But if it's an if it's anonymous, I guess they should give their yeah. honest opinion. Well, and I think because they pulled him two years ago, and I want to say it was over ninety seven percent of the players said yeah. yes to fighting. Yeah. So and, and to me, it's hard for me to say to these guys who are on the ice every night, skating around, like you are wrong about fighting. Like, who am I to tell the players on the ice to say it should be banned? I'm just, you know, I'm a spectator. I'm not part of the game, which kind of brings me around to Steve Eiserman, who was part of the game, who came out and, you know, basically said, as, you know, hands clean as you can say it, we should ban fighting. And Mark, I know you had some some thoughts on, you know, Eiserman's ability to come out and say that because of... Well, I mean... I think the reason why he wants it gone is because he's a general manager. And generally speaking, general managers well done. really appreciate their players being able to play every game, every 82 game of the season. Now, it it just it seems strange to me that somebody who benefited from players like Joey Kosher and Bob Probert and Darren McCarty, three guys that I mean there wasn't much more to their game other than fighting. I mean, McCarty had one fantastic goal in the 97 playoffs. And since then, and even before that, he was, you know, a, a guy that could maybe score 12 to 15 goals in, in a, a given season when in like his prime, he had a few years where he was, where he was decent, but for the most part, they became that fourth line guy you sent out to protect your stars. And nobody for the most part touched Iserman. People left him alone. And and it's similar to the I know you know everybody talks about Gretzky and Semenko and blah blah blah, and when Gretzky eventually went to the Rangers and there really wasn't that type of player there, he got the snot beat out of him, and it wasn't pretty. I mean, I I really think that it's the reason why Gretzky said I'm out. Like I can't I can't take the hacking and the and the abuse that I didn't experience early on in my career. Now I'm old and my body doesn't heal as quickly. And yeah. I'm sure there was more reasons than that, but that was definitely a a knock on there. It's interesting to me, too, because with Steve Eiserman being a GM now, he's actually in a position where if he he doesn't even have to get together with other GMs and do this, he could just on his own team reflect his beliefs and not have a guy like B.J. Crombreen. Crumbie? You you wouldn't have to have crumbs and beans all over the place. Right, and who doesn't fight over crumbs and beans? Uh but that was he, so stupid. He could, <laughs> he could make his team look like what he wants to see in the league. Actually, much like Ken Holland generally does. I know he's got Jordan Tutu on the roster for some reason right now. Um, yeah, I mean, but even a guy like Jordan Tutu, he needed to fill out. He needed some depth, and he was there, and he was willing to come and take a pay cut. Well, and that's kind of a, that's an argument for another day. Really, the Jordan Tutu thing. But I just think Steve Eiserman could functionally put out an NHL team that doesn't have players on there like that. And he could say, all right, well, if enough of us GMs and coaches and players and whoever all believe in this, we can do it ourselves yeah, without I mean, legislation. But you're right. do you see that? Is that happening? You're Other right. than- even, even players, even if players wouldn't vote fighting out, GMs can and owners can say, I don't want you to, I don't want you to have anybody that wants to fight. If a player fights, then you know we're gonna figure out a, we're just gonna bench him, and I'm sure that would go against some sort of PA. Uh, you know you'd get blasted for that. But I mean, 
when you have a guy like BJ Crown being on your team or you have, you know, players that and especially players like Colton Orr and you have John Scott's of the world and I'm just saying they're teams like the Red Wings have excelled in this league by ignoring that role and they don't seem to have an issue going forward. So why not if Steve Eisman's so, you know, against it, he could put it no, right I, there on the ice and Is it is it really that can you really say that the Wings have have benefited from not having those types of players because now I know they won the cup in 08 and went to the finals in 09 and that's all well and good and you know it's I think that if the Wings went the next eight to ten years without being in the finals like we would can still consider them you know hey we just won the cup obviously there's going to be some some downtime but I'm not saying they benefit by the way I'm just saying they excelled without that role they have in the past but like in the in the last few years where i would say that since since then it's maybe it's maybe become more important than it was in the two years that the wings went to the finals i would I, agree and especially with their move to the east i'm not saying that the role is is obsolete i'm just saying that if steve eisenman wanted to he could say i'm putting my money where my mouth is here's my team no one here's going to fight you Fighting's over if every if every GM in the league does that. You don't even have to legislate yep, it. Very true. Uh, but that's not what's happening, so clearly someone feels that there's a need for it. I agree. Uh, how many years do you think it is before we see formal fighting eliminated from the game, if at all? I think it's going to be when Gary Bettman leaves. Um, not to say that Gary Bettman is a, a champion of fighting, But he's, of all the issues in the NHL, it's really seemed like he's avoided this one. And you got to imagine he's in the stretch run of his, his, you know, camp. (laughs) He doesn't want to be the guy that dumped fighting and lost three seasons to lockouts, essentially. So, and, and I'm sure there's plenty of other reasons, but I think it'll have to come after Gary Bettman. And that's a good point. Uh, Yeah. I also think that Gary Bettman, for all the, for all the mistakes that, Fans would put on him. Uh, no, we all know that owners like Gary Bettman for the most part. They they appreciate what he's done. He has effectively made the NHL relevant again. Took them, you know, after the lockout, and has since really allowed for player buy-in and all this. And and I think that he's done a better job than fans are really willing to give him credit for. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I think that he knows that fighting is a money maker. How many people do I know that I say, oh, yeah, I love hockey. And they're like, oh, yeah, I like the fighting. The fighting's pretty cool. Like, hockey is known for their the fighting if you're not a fan. And sometimes I think that the fighting draws fans it in. It can get you in the door. Yeah. Now, the rest of the game is going to be what keeps you there. If you fall in love with the rest of the game, you're a hockey fan. But just to get them in the door, just that prospect of there could be a fight, oh, I'm sure that draws in. Why do you think people go to junior hockey games? All the talent, and I now the, the funny thing is, I, I it would be interesting. And now I don't know. I this could this could go the opposite way and prove me completely wrong. It would be interesting to look at junior hockey's ticket sales since they've implemented some rules against fighting. Now they haven't banned fighting, but I think it's seven fights, and you get a, you're suspended for a certain amount of time, three games or something like that. You know, uh, I I'd have I, to check on that, but I'm gonna highly doubt that that's 
changed anything in junior hockey. Well, mostly because most of those well, people haven't figured it out yet that that's it. Well, that and uh, you know, most of those franchises are in Canada, and and I think a lot of those franchises well, sell tickets. You know, just from existing. Fine. Let's look at the Plymouth Whalers and the Saginaw Spirit. That yeah, that <laughs> I mean, if I don't think people have noticed yet, and I. I I don't know. I I just if you're going to junior hockey, odds are you're a hockey fan at another level. That's, that's true. Sorry, or you're, or you're seven years old. Douse your argument in water. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I mean, speaking of, you know, maybe some somebody that is willing to go the extra mile to put his team over the top and and energize his team, which is what a lot of fighters and enforcers will do. But Patrick Waugh. Uh, <laughs> took out his energy and passion on a wall in between benches with uh, the, oh my gosh, blanking on the team that they were playing, uh, Anaheim. Anaheim. Mr. Mr. Okay. When you're, when you're the less sane looking person and you're looking at Bruce Boudreaux, you know you're over the top and maybe you, you, you might need to reevaluate yourself as a human. <laughs> well, okay. But what was with that wall though? That wall in between. First off, there's no, we, and we talked about this, that there's no uh, broadcaster's booth thing in between. So yeah, no Pierre Maguire there. Apparently, Colorado, they have an issue with Mr. Maguire and <laughs> like Kelly Rudy and Glenn we'll Healy, those guy. guys that sit in between. But I don't know. Maybe they, when they don't need it, they like create, or when they need it, they create space. I, I'm not sure how that works. And maybe that's why the wall was so flimsy but that wall it looked like an assistant coach could have been leaning against it and it would have fallen <laughs> through it reminded me of the uh the fan that went into the penalty box with Ty Domi back in the <laughs> early 2000s like where the guy's just leaning on the thing and the whole glass collapsed it's like who is making these boards well you know <laughs> I don't think we know where that argument necessarily started and maybe that's what happened maybe an assistant coach leaned and someone got hit just a theory it's a horrible theory. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay. But anyway, I <laughs> Patrick Watt, it seemed like it was relatively um, uh, taken in as a positive note that that happened. Like, look at this guy's passion and his fire. But I think a lot of coaches around the NHL are going to look at that and say, I don't want to deal with that any night of the oh, season. Yeah. Oh, Barry, a lot of coaches came out and said stuff about it because, you know, obviously they're asked about it at press conferences. And I remember reading that Barry Trotz was saying, oh, there's no no place in our game for... Oh, it was more... It was the yelling at players. Yes. That's what Boudreaux was was saying, that Waugh was yelling at players and that, you know, if you're going to be a successful coach, you don't yell at the other team's players. And Patrick has came out pretty quickly and said, that guy's a liar. And <laughs> did you see that? He, no, I he didn't. He came back and he said, that guy's a liar. I wasn't yelling at players. I was yelling at him. He's classless and he's a liar. Well, Patrick, I guess it, he <laughs> quickly turned that into a he, he said, she said. But I guess it. we already have Patrick Waugh on tape being a crazy coach because I, I think you and I probably once a year pull up him having his kid go beat up that other goalie. Yeah, when's he going to bring in his kid as a fourth line enforcer? <laughs> the time is coming. I can't wait. Along with all the other good kids in, in Colorado, they, I don't know if you've had a chance to actually watch some of their games, uh, but and Nathan McKinnon, he looks like he's going to be a stud. He, he kind of reminds me in a way, not necessarily in the way that he plays, but in the way that they're protecting him by allowing him to be the third-line center. Reminds me of how the Leafs treated Kadri last year. 
and how successful Kadri was because he didn't have to he didn't have to take faceoffs against other teams' first lines very often, and he was able to play against players that maybe didn't have as much talent as him, and he was able to dominate. And I can kind of see that from McKinnon. Like I, I'm not expecting 60, 70 points from McKinnon, but and well, it, it doesn't it, hurt when you have you know two other really good centers in Colorado that are sure taking up that space. But yeah, absolutely. I, I think the matchups he's going up against are going to help him, you know, dip his toe into the water a little bit more than maybe other other lean franchises allow their star player to do. Um Colorado's an interesting place because they they don't lack talent. They've just No, I mean the guys they have Ryan O'Reilly, Nathan McKinnon, Steve Downey, Matt Duchesne, Paul Stastny, like all those guys could be on any team's top six, right? Well, I, maybe not Steve Downey, but yeah. uh, but cool. I, I think that you know you'd take any of those guys to be your second line center. You know, I Duchesne is an interesting one because he has been touted as this guy that should be an elite first line player, but I think he's more of a second line guy. And not that there's anything wrong with having three second line talent players. Now, obviously, McKinnon will step into that first line talent and and be able to play at that level but maybe just in a year or two uh but colorado is an interesting team and varlamov has looked great so far yeah and i you gotta wonder like how this is the only team in the league i think maybe other than maybe ottawa that wa could coach like the way he is coaching and get away with it because he doesn't have a real veteran group who's gonna you know roll their eyes at at the coach making a fool of himself. And I wonder if this is the the right fit in the right place at a two and oh so far. So it's not a big enough sample size to really sure. say so. But I, I think it could either it could either be really good above expectations or there's a chance where maybe that, you know, later in the season when you when Waz yelling at you, you're kinda like, All right, I'm over that now worked well the first few weeks. It, I yeah. think it depends a lot on if they're winning games, obviously. I, I, I see Colorado not necessarily because of the coaching, but uh, I think back a few years ago after Ryan Nugent Hopkins had been drafted by the Oilers and there was uh, some big expectations. I remember the Oilers had a hot start. I, I can't remember what year it was, whether it was two or three years ago, uh, or if it was Taylor Hall that had first been drafted and Nugent Hopkins wasn't there yet. But uh, I remember they got off to a fast start. Oh, it was it was two years ago. Because they were first place in the league. Oh yeah, I, and we probably have a podcast. And on they that. were flying. And <laughs> I could see a hot start from Colorado, and then a a, a fizzle? slow fizzle. Yes, a fizzle is a great way to put it. I, yeah, because collapse, I don't think it would be, but expectations, I think, may adjust, and then there may be some disappointment. Uh, but I, mean, I can see that, and and I think Colorado and Edmonton are just. They're very good p- comparisons. I think Colorado is that like maybe two years ago Edmonton, where like you can see they have this talent. Actually, they I've, and they're more veteran talent there though. Like Paul Stastny, I mean, the guy's about to become a UFA. He's been in the league for eight years, and, and still only what twenty seven, I think. Yeah, twenty seven or twenty eight. So, I, Paul Stastny, I think, is definitely gone because there's no way they're going to be able to keep Riley, Duchesne, and McKinnon all happy. All playing Absolutely. Center. Now I know I know Riley can play the wing and and Stastny can shift to the wing too. But uh, I think McKinnon. I'm sure at the end of this year they're going to say, "All right, you're moving up to the first line." It's certainly nice to see them commit a bit, a little more to the Colorado 
It's certainly nice to see them commit a little more to the Colorado Avalanche uh, because I know since the great run of the 90s, uh, a lot of people have questioned the the ownership's desire to really put a quality product on the mm. on the rink there. And I think if you look back, the way they've kind of nickel and dime players and free agency has kind of even sent that message without them having to come out and say it. 